do Bible study, yeah! yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Kingdom Project Podcast. I am your host, Marcus Hall, and this is a drive through Bible study, yeah! And it makes me laugh every time. So, we've been in Colossians, and now we're going to get to chapter two before we do that don't forget to check us out on facebook instagram and uh, if you would like to please leave a review on itunes and uh, share an episode or send me some money at paypal the description um uh, in the description are the links to the majority of those things okay so here in colossians 2 um somewhat short it's 23 verses here I decided this time um, I'm just going to to sort of take it, read some, then make comments instead of reading it in full and then going because I'm still going to just repeat myself then, all right? So here is answering the Colossian heresy, which was in the introduction and we talked about. Hard to pinpoint just exactly what it is, but here we get some glimpses of it here. So verse one then is the depth of paul's conflict for the colossians and others when he says for i want you to know how great a struggle i have for you and for those at laodicea um for all of you who have not seen me face to face all right so this this great uh, how great a struggle or great conflict was inside of paul and he had this for them it wasn't that paul fought with others about the Christians there at Colossae. Um, but Paul described his his battle, his grief, the struggle, this conflict, and sort of like a, a spiritual warfare and heartfelt care for the Colossians. And that was what the struggle was. And he will use, um, well, he did use in chapter one, this athletic imagery imagery and he will continue to use that um and and he does here with this the struggle um, or great conflict all right and then he he says many have not um all have not seen me face to face um paul had never visited Colossae himself they had never seen his face in the flesh but even as paul's authority extended to those who he had never met um to those who had never seen his face, it also it would extend to all of us. Okay, so that there's for for application there, obviously. Now, Paul's specific concerns and goals in this struggle then are addressed in two and three, when he says that that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all right? So, um, Paul once wanted this because he was concerned about a lot of things, but he's obviously concerned about their hearts. He wants them to be encouraged and have hope and their enthusiasm. He knew that the discouraged, downcast believers are easy prey for the flesh right and for sin so encouragement that sometimes that word means comfort sometimes to exhort but always at the back of it there's this ideal of enabling a person to meet some difficult situation 
with confidence, all right? And so Paul wanted these Christians to be fit for heroic action, if you will. And he wants he wants them to be knit together in love because he's concerned about their unity. And the unity wouldn't come um, f- f- um, by cr- cr- um, uh, being forced, <laughs> but by love. And the whole um, understanding and knowledge of God's mysteries, he wants this because he's concerned about their understanding. He knew that their unity and their steadfastness was not just a matter of love, but also growing together in doctrinal truth. So we're getting a bit of um, what we see in Ephesians here again as well. Paul knew that their unity came from not only love, but from it's truth is love love is truth right so from being knit together in love growing in understanding and knowledge of god's truth in his um, teachings and through the apostles teachings here this is doctrinal truth and this is god's truth which is his love all right so the true wisdom that paul wants them to know in jesus would bring them together would knit them together in love instead of dividing them the way that false teachings and false wisdom does. Um, for Paul, the real riches are found in the believer's full, full assurance of these things about the character of God and um, because some people are unconvinced that he really is good and he's really loving. Others lack a fullness of assurance about their salvation and they wonder if their faith or their Christian life is really real. So great freedom and confidence comes when we come to this full assurance of all these things and that all the um, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? So this is all because of God's mystery, which is in Christ. So that term mystery of God is used a few different ways, but here Paul uses the term regarding the character and person of God, something that we could not know unless it was revealed by him, and it's been revealed by him through Jesus. Um, so some of the mysteries that are described in Colossians would, would, would be that the church as the body of Christ, right, that's who we are for which Paul suffered and served. And also that there's an in the indwelling of Christ in us, the hope of glory that's in each individual believer, and that the revealed Jesus is the true treasury of all wisdom and knowledge. So it's imp- an important ideal then in Paul's letter to those at Colossae that with this Paul refuted some of the bad teaching that was troubling them there and this heresy that we'll get into because they're they're they are being influenced by teachers who who have told them to seek the treasures of wisdom and knowledge but not seek them in Jesus. So Paul Paul is saying that you'll you'll find you'll reach all these riches um in Jesus. He has them all. Right, it's not wrong to seek after wisdom and knowledge, but we should must seek it, um, all of it in Christ. And Paul says that this is all hidden in Christ, and it's this Greek word. Um, um, I don't know how to say it, but 
he, the use of the word is a blow that's aimed at Gnosticism or the Gnostics because they believe that a great mass of um, elaborate knowledge was necessary for salvation. That knowledge that they set down in, in their books, um, they called the, um, the word that Paul uses here in Greek um, that he says is hidden. Uh, so they thought that was barred to an ordinary man. But Paul is saying, wanted all to know that the real wisdom was not hidden in these Gnostic books, but deposited in Jesus so that all of us have access to it. Okay. Now in four, he gives a warning. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. All right. Those who told the Colossians to find wisdom and knowledge apart from the simplicity of Jesus then were very persuasive. The lure of hidden and deep wisdom and knowledge is strong and deceptive. It's all over in our world today. We can see that, and it's nothing new. So Paul, Paul did not say that they had already been deceived, but he sees the danger and warns them about it, all right? Because um, he says, in in order that no one may deceive, or he says, delude you. So it may it 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 is simplistic, and it might sound simplistic, but we have to understand that false teachers are false teachers. Deceit is deceit. That means deceivers are deceivers. They won't announce their false doctrine as false doctrine. It will often be very similar enough, just un, so similar enough to the actual truth that it can be hidden right but it's just enough to be dangerous to us so we go in the five through seven for though i am absent in body i'm with you in spirit and then he goes on to say as you receive jesus christ the lord so walk in him rooted and built up in him established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanks giving all right so he's with them through prayer in spirit all right the core of his conflict mentioned at the beginning of verse one he felt that he was among them in his prayers though he was absent in the body all right so um we, we he's but he's also rejoicing so we see here that paul Paul doesn't see that, that they have been given over to heresy yet completely and rank heresy, but they are under serious danger. They are still in good standing or good order, and they have displayed a steadfastness of their faith. Okay, so so he wants them to to um to remind them as you received, so also walk. All right, this is um. A rule for all of Christian living, for all of us. We cannot perfect in the flesh what what was begun in the Spirit. So therefore, just as you receive Jesus, walk in Him the same way. Right? The simple things of our life for believers pr provide continual and reliable spiritual fuel for growth. We, also, we always have to be reminded, then, of the things that we have been taught. Right? So we have received them. This is just as you were you were taught abounding in thanksgiving all right um 
So walk in him. Be rooted and built up. He's used a curious combination of metaphors here, but we walk, but we are also rooted. And at the same time, we are also built up. They're somewhat mixed here, but the message is clear. Be established. Keep growing in Christ and Christ alone. Um, Adam Clark says it's not unusual with the, the apostle to employ this double metaphor, taken partly from the growth of a tree and the increase of a building. They are to be rooted, as the good seed has been already sown, and it is to take root, and the roots are to spread far, wide, and deep. They are to be grounded, as the foundation has already been laid. They are to build thereon. In the one case, they are to bear much fruit, and in the other, they are to grow up to be a habitation of God through the Spirit. And now Paul, in verse 8, then goes to warn against and opposes the Colossian heresy. In verse 8, it's a warning. See, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Now I've done an episode on this before, but here we're just doing it in a drive-through study, but you can look up this and you have heard this in my sermons many times too if you have been following along in in here. But so the false teaching among the Colossians has been marked by an emphasis on philosophy and empty deceit and it's according to these traditions of man that's so it had the stamp of man on it the approval of man but not of god and this this philosophy that threatens the colossian christians was a uh, this elect uh, a mix of early gnosticism greek philosophy local mystery religions and jewish mysticism the philosophy threatening them was so dangerous um, because it was not um, obvious uh, um, sinful things, but it was high-sounding and, and um, very spiritual and seemed highly intelligent and very glue-in-the-dark Christian, if you will. <laughs> and philosophy, you know, can be good. It has a good meaning. It, it, it's the love of wisdom. But it's here it's used by Paul in the sense of vain speculation, all right? Um, it's being it, in reference to its being the name by which the false teachers there designated not only their speculative system, but also their practical system so that it covered their ascetic practices no less than their mysticism when it came to the practices there. So, there is a significant debate among commentators here to the exact nature, which we've mentioned, but most see that it's predominantly an expression of early Gnosticism with some Jewish mystical elements added. Others see it as primarily Jewish mysticism with a few aspects of early Gnosticism, and they just flip it. But Whatever it is, whatever the origin or composition of this heresy, it seems clear that it had both elements. And the connection to early uh, Gnosticism is clear from the way that Paul brings forth his points. Um, and we, we've seen that in verse 1. All right. And um, also the Jewish influence on Christ Christianity emphasized dietary laws 
and observance of particular days as an obligation that we will see later in this chapter. And then he mentions tradition of men. The Colossian heresy promoted itself as traditional. It could trace some or many of its ideals back to the two traditions among the Jews or the Greek philosophers or below, both of them. So he warns of these traditions of men and says they, this, that he warns that the tradition of men has no equal authority to the word of God. And then it's according to elemental spirits, okay, of the world. This is Greek that can be translated as basic principles. Um, it's not talking about demonic things or anything like that. It's a word that can mean several different things based on uh, its context. And um, Paul Paul had used it in a broad way. Um, in such a broad word to cover a variety of meanings, but it means primarily things play side by side in a row. Um, <laughs> basic principles, all right? Like think of the alphabet, the ABCs, the one, two, threes, right? Um, it, it's, it, it comes to mean rudiments, first principles, okay? Um, you can see it in Hebrews 5, 12, um, when it, it talks about the first principles of the oracles of God. Um, so many ancient mystery religions thought that the world of the world is dangerous and it was a very dangerous place and it was threatened by spirits or spiritual forces that they called elements or elemental forces. Um, but we would say here that maybe one may even say that Paul's meaning here certainly includes an answer to early Gnostic ideas, but the meaning also goes beyond those specific ideas. It's been frequently taking, taken in the sense as the actual just one, two, threes of religion um, or Christian doctrine or religious knowledge. The expression must be, must apply to something that both had in common. So common to both Jews and pagans was the idea of cause and effect, and in a sense it rules nature in the minds of men, right? But here, um, it, it's just saying the basic elementary truths, the principles here. Um, according, okay, listen, and, and according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, all right? This would be like descendants of Adam saying that tradition of men and these elemental, these basics, these one, two, threes, they go hand in hand, okay? So, Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So the completeness of Jesus and our connection with him shows other philosophies and traditions are unnecessary. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. It's a very dramatic declaration of the full de deity of Jesus. Since all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him, he cannot be half God or just a little God. But he, he, he says it, this is a reference to the Trinity, the fullness of deity, which is the Godhead. All fullness of the Godhead is bodily. Okay, so <clears throat> one of the false teachings among the, the Christians there at 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 Colossae was something like the the, um, the early form of the Gnostic, Gnostic heresies that would come later. 
And they made a radical separation between the spiritual and the material. And this is why Paul needed to make it clear that all the fullness of the Godhead was in Jesus bodily, not in some strange mystical sense. And John also dealt with this too, uh, the same teaching. If you look at 1 John 4, 2 and 3, um, and other passages as well. But um, he's saying that every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ comes in um, the flesh is of God, all right? But if you say that Jesus did um, says something else in all that, that, they're in the world, all right? So... Um, then, then we say that, or he says, <laughs> not not we, but we have been filled in him. We are complete. It's This can only be true because Jesus is truly God. If he were not of God, we couldn't be complete in him. Anything that says that we are not complete in him also takes away from the deity of Jesus, right? If all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and as believers we are united to him in this faith relationship, then we are also complete in him. We have been filled in him. Therefore, there was no need to go to the false promises and attractions that were being presented by the false teachers among the Colossians. Same today, you are complete you are full. You don't need an anoint, another anointing or someone special to lay hands on you. You don't need an impartation of this, that, or the other. You are complete in him. Paul says that this is a fact to be enjoyed. It's not a status to be achieved. It's not something that you have to strive for to keep going for. We are to grow spiritually and become spiritually mature, but you are complete in him and he is the head of all um rule and authority okay so um some translations translation says head of all principality and power which <laughs> if we are complete in him and he is the head of all principalities and power and, and even the the head of all rule and authority because all power and authority has been given to him mm, Therefore, we should not be concerned about any other principalities or powers. Paul here declares that Jesus is authority over all here and over all spirit, spirit beings in all the world. The false teaching among the Colossi church emphasized that there was lesser spirit beings that were in control and should be noticed and um, some should be talked to. Some should be involved in your life or your ministry, and some should be fought. But Paul makes it clear here that Jesus is far above them all, and being in him completes you because you are full of, of him. Um, so there you go for <laughs> some modern-day spiritual warfare people. Here we go on um, to 11 and 12. And, um, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead so the work of Jesus in his people through the spiritual circumcision 
is happen, and it's illustrated by baptism. So most of the Colossian Christians were Gentiles who had never been physically circumcised, but Paul assures them that they were indeed circumcised in a spiritual sense, which is even more important than the actual physical circumcision, all right? These people had to deal with a whole variety of false teachings. Not only did they have wrong ideals being presented to them about Jesus, but they also had wrong ideals about things like circumcision. And apparently they were being taught that they had to be circumcised physically to be right with God. But Paul makes it, makes it clear that they were circumcised by putting off the sins of the flesh or putting off the body of flesh. Okay, now <clears throat> Paul says that the, these Gentile Christians find their true circumcision in their baptism. Christians do not need to be circumcised. They need to be baptized. Even in the Old Testament, um, uh, or even the Old Testament acknowledges that there are two types of circumcision, one of the body and one of the heart. Sincere baptism shows that real circumcision of the heart has taken place. And baptism answers circumcision, but it doesn't illustrate it. Yet, baptism does illustrate our identification with the death and resurrection life of Jesus. We are buried with Jesus, buried underwater. We are also raised with him, raised up out of the water, right? So it's as if Paul wrote, circumcision is not important. What's important is the spiritual cutting away of the flesh that Jesus performs in the life of every believer. If you want a ceremony to mark the spiritual transformation in your life, look to your baptism, not the circumcision. So I think that's important. Um, and, and because Paul made a connection here between circumcision and baptism, there are some, especially Reformed theologians, that say that just as babies were circumcised, so babies should be baptized. And, and there's a whole argument on that. But Paul doesn't say that circumcision and baptism are the same thing. But that circumcision is unnecessary for salvation because we are identified in Jesus and we are baptized to show that. So it's all because of um, <clears throat> the uh, through through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him for uh, or from the dead. That this demonstrates that Paul understood that the power of regeneration, of being born again or born from above, was not in baptism. Um, and it's not received by the actual act of baptism, but it is received through the faith in the working God. It's faith alone and grace alone. That having been buried with him in baptism in which you were, you were also raised with him through baptism faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Again, Paul understands the power of being born again was not a circumcision, was not a baptism, or the act of it, or just receiving it, but it's received through faith alone in the powerful working of God who has raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, he also raises us to new life as new creations in Christ. All right, so there you go. We're going to keep it short. 
and make it more of a drive-through instead of going long. So that's the first part of there, um, first part of that uh, chapter two of Colossians, and we'll get to the uh, the rest of it on the next episode of Drive-Through Bible Study. Yeah. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you're learning a little bit more about the book of Colossians. Any questions, comments, disagreements, send them my way at thekingdomprojectpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, be a mustard seed, be leaven. Thanks for listening.